here to an all-new AD and DT with Athletics Director Bob Breda of Lemoyne College, myself, Dan Tortora, a.k.a. DT. And we are here with you. Not much is going on on the Heights, but super quiet. So, uh, no, all jokes aside, this is our first AD and DT coming off of everything that's happened. So, was able to get out there and break the story, talk about it, talk with you about it in, in your office and, you know, to do a special AD and DT for that. And then to talk with uh, Noreen Morris, the NEC commissioner, as well as Dr. Linda Lemura and the chair of the board of trustees, Pete DeLora. So everybody had a voice on that as, as well as Mary Grimes for women's basketball. So tremendous event, a lot of stuff to get into. It's all on the homepage of wakeupcalldt.com to make it easy for everybody. But Bob's mug's up there a couple times, including today. So how are you, sir? I'm excellent, Dan. How are you today? I'm doing well. Yeah. So you look D1 official. I yeah, think. we are. We're D1 official, so, right? We've, uh, we're ready. We're ready for this. Uh, it's uh, been an interesting few days for, sure, for certain. And uh, just got off our first NEC, AD, and SWA call. So I guess we're official. Yeah. You know, and, and to, to have this done, you know, it's, it's that feeling, right? So in, in the media, into the world, you announce it, everybody says, yes, confetti. And then before that confetti hits the ground, you're working, right? And one of the biggest things is making sure that these teams moving forward at Lemoyne College have the schedule that they need. So let's start there. What are we doing schedule-wise to make sure that they're ready for the NEC? Yeah, and it's really an inter interesting time, Dan, because we're behind the eight ball for our fall sports. If you think about it, our fall sports begin practice here in two months. Yeah. And and now our athletes will come back earlier in some cases than they were scheduled to during while well, we were a member of the NE10 conference, different regulations around when they can come back, different financial components, and now trying to build a non-conference schedule from scratch for a lot of our coaches who – I had Division Two non-conference schedule ready to roll, and now they've had to change that. Now, we talked to them, and we knew this was a possibility, and so I, I believe that our coaches were prepared well. They started to have some conversations with non-conference competition opponents, possible D1 opponents, yeah. for the past several weeks. But until we actually made an announcement and made that decision, that they couldn't move forward and execute that. But I think that's really been... Our, our, our short term since last week, we've been really focused on communicating with our current student athletes, communicating with our recruits, and then really trying to hunker down on the scheduling. And I, I've met with almost all of our head coaches on scheduling, philosophies, direction. Let's take a look at what makes sense. And I think we look at each one with a holistic view. And, and every game that we're talking about in the non-conference space is, is different because it brings a different set of variables and a different set of value to us. What is the focus? I would imagine with all these schools in the state of New York that are Division One, there's, you know, a group of them inside of the NEC. But outside of that, have you sat down with coaches in general and said, you know, the Syracuse, the Niagara, the St. Bonaventure calls, the Binghamtons, the Colgates, the Cornells? Has that been a topic of discussion? It has been, Dan. And, and I've talked to coaches, and it depends on the sport, but how we, we kind of break down the schedules and look at the conference games and then how many games they want to play overall, how many are left in in the, in the non-conference space. Do they want to play any non-Division One games because they're allowed to do that and permitted to do so? And if you if you want to play a, a non-Division One game or two, you extract that, and then you start to take a look at where strategically makes the most sense. 
Are we going to look at some some local schools that are within a, a day trip for us from a financial standpoint? Is there is there a really cool trip that we can take our kids on, our kids, our student athletes, and, and deliver that exceptional experience that we've talked about? And so we look at everything holistically. We take a look at, at what uh, a trip can mean, where the value lies. Is it in competition? Is it an experience? Is it somewhere that just makes a lot of sense from a geographical footprint? We begin new rivals with, with some of our central New York and western New York colleagues. So all those things make it for a very exciting time. And I think it's 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 kind of exciting for our coaches because they have this blank tableau now and they can look at it and they can really build from scratch, working with Mary Grimes and, and Nate Champion on, on their schedules. And I think when it comes time to release those schedules, <clears throat> they're going to be exciting. Our, our players are going to be really excited about it. Our fans are going to be really excited about it. I'm excited about just knowing kind of where we're headed right now. So uh, all in all, I, I think it's uh, it's added an awful lot of life around the building down here the last couple of days, that's for sure. What can you tell us? I can't tell you anything now because uh, our, we don't have anything set, uh, but, but um, I can tell you that uh, we're talking about playing some, some elite brands in all sports. And uh, I, I know that um, something we talked about, it really it's important who you play against. And, and just transitioning to Division One now opens up that whole new world for us. Not only our, our local geographic footprint, but some brand, some brand name opportunities. Um, and, and some of them are in the ACC, and some of them are in the Big Ten, and some of them are in the Big East, and some of them are in the MAC. And we're talking about um, competitions against all those types of, of schools. And uh, I think it's going to be really exciting for our players. You know, I think that there was a faction of players that were nervous about this transition. And I think little by little, as they see what this really means and, and what this opens up to them from an experiential standpoint, it's pretty cool. And I think that they're really going to embrace it. I think they're going to represent this institution exceedingly well. And I think they're going to be extremely excited about it when they see a final product just in the schedule alone. And then there's some other things that we're going to be able to do in terms of bulking up some staffs over the course of three years that are going to just lead to, to more development opportunities for them. So, yeah, great times here on the Heights. How does it work when you're transitioning from D2 to D1 with the reality that in Division One in general, they were going to be able to add another staff member? So how does that all work? I mean, do you kind of just get grandfathered right into saying, you know, this, you have X number on your staff, now you can have this. I mean, how how is it going to work for you staffing-wise, like you said, that you mm -hmm. can build up those staffs? And, and I know that Division One in this reconfiguration of the NCAA has taken a look at expanding staff. Right, so one thing that we took a lot of time, and I credit my staff, in particular Tim Fenton, who worked very closely with, with me and, and, and built a lot of our modeling back in the fall. Yeah, we looked at... at where we could be realistically from a staffing component, from a budget standpoint, component, from a scholarship standpoint. And we want to kind of look in and be, we said our standard right now is like the median of the MAC, right? I, I'm sorry, the median of the NEC. And we looked at the MAC as well at the time because we didn't know if, if we might gain an invitation to the MAC or the NEC, but those were the two conferences we were focused on. So we did some modeling against those two schools uh, those two groups of schools, I should say, and, and where we would fall in terms of budgeting and all those things, whether it's scholarships 
whether it's our recruiting budget, whether it's our staffing, our salaries, all those things. And we mapped it out over three years because we knew that this was going to take a strategic look at things to, and spread out the costs. And we, we looked at a three-year period. So we have a model in place that shows where each program is going to be scholarship-wise and if they need to increase a great deal or, or not much at all, but how we can sequence that. Sequencing was a big part of this. And that's what we're doing now. We're looking at sequencing our coaches, our staff, our salaries, and, and we looked at prioritizing certain areas where maybe we were a little more thin from a staffing standpoint. And uh, so, so those, those are the kinds of things right now. Uh, our scholarships, because we're through this recruiting cycle right now, for the most part, we didn't add a whole lot for this coming academic year, but then they'll be added. I think over the course of three years, we talked about adding an upwards of 30 scholarships across the board to get us to where we need to be in every sport to kind of be in the middle of the pack of the NEC. So when you look at that, like you said, sequential work over a three-year span, you mentioned so many different topics. Let's start with salary. How do you tackle that? over the next three years? Yeah, so quite frankly, you know, and I haven't had the conversation with our coaches yet, but we, we looked at where uh, the NEC model looks like, and we, we kind of took a look at, at, at what our colleagues and what our peers are and tried to be very similar, to, to, as, as we mentioned. And so we looked at what a final number would look like, and then we were going to spread it out over three years in each case to try to get – and in some cases, there's not a great deal of variance from where we are currently. In some cases, there's some some jumps, maybe not uh, a large, large jump, but a large jump. And in some cases, there is an exponential jump in certain sports. So we have to look at how we can phase those in in a way that is feasible for the school yeah. from a financial standpoint and, and something that we feel really comfortable about for our individuals. And they feel good about our plan in, in place. So I haven't had a chance to, to specifically sit with our coaches for each uh, with each one. I'm gonna do that next week. But, but we do have that sequential plan uh, that, that includes salaries and scholarships and budgets and, and all of that. And when you look at, like you said, scholarships, building that over time and what you need to do in that respect as well as recruiting budget, where is, is that comparative to where you are right now when it comes to recruiting and it comes to scholarships? Mm -hmm. I know you talked about adding you know, maybe somewhere – in the world of 30 scholarships across the board, but how much is this going to kind of hit monetarily for Lemoyne when it comes to scholarship money as well as recruiting? Yeah, I mean, we've been very open about that. We estimated that uh, the overall cost would increase to about $4 million of gross expenditure a year. Now there's significant revenue streams that are gonna be available to us and they're already available to us through some of the guarantee games that we're scheduling right now that weren't available at the Division II level to offset some of that cost. But we thought that we'd probably be in the $2 million range in net cost per year, and we were going to have to defray that with against fundraising. We've said that from day one, yeah. that fundraising needed to be a big part of this, and, and we're going to be out on the road this summer and be very aggressive in that space. Uh, but, but we also, for this first year, the number is going to be significantly less than that because a great deal of that number, that formula, is in the is in the scholarship piece, yeah. candidly. And uh, this year it's mitigated because we didn't add a lot of scholarships. We just added a couple uh, because we were that far down the path in the recruiting cycle. But th that number will bump up for the next year. 
and the year after that as we try to take a look and, again, place ourselves in a, in a spot where we're competitive with our NEC colleagues. And, and that's where we were with the NE10. We were competitive with our NE10 colleagues. It wasn't that we were at the bottom or at the top in all sports. There were some sports that we were at the top, some that we were at the bottom. And I would expect the same to be the case in the NEC. We, but we've tried to model a plan that looks pretty similar to where we were in, in the NE10 in terms of the scholarship. In some sports, we're not going to have to add a whole lot. We're already in the upper third of what the NEC offers. In some cases, we have some work to do. I'll give you a great example, but and this is men's and women's basketball. The maximum allowed equivalencies in men's and women's basketball division two is 10. We were at 10, and we will be at the maximum allowed number in division one, but that grows. So on the, on the women's side, it grows from 10 to 15. On the men's side, it grows from 10 to 13. So there's eight of the scholarships that we're talking about right now that need to be, and we have to be at the maximum level by year three of the reclassification for uh, membership in the NEC. So we have to phase those eight scholarships as part of the other group as well over three years. And so we're looking at every sport individually. We're looking at seeing how they stack up, how that specific sport stacks up within the NEC. And we're going to be very competitive in those numbers. We're going to be very competitive in the scholarship numbers. We're going to be very competitive in the salary numbers. And we'll be very competitive in the staffing. If, if not, maybe in some sports we'll be more heavily staffed than, than some of our colleagues. And staffing-wise, why do you feel like you're going to be so competitive? Do you feel that since this news has come through, on top of the success you've already had in connecting with the local community and the community around the country and the world, that Lemoyne's already done. Do you feel like since that move to D1 has been made official that you've had an influx of people wanting to come and work on staff? Uh, I, I, I think you'd have to talk to each coach, and we haven't announced any new positions, and that will be forthcoming here within the next week or two that we'll start to advertise for some new positions, both administratively and, and coaching-wise. But I think coaches have been fielding calls from people that are interested. I know that... Uh, Talking to some of our coaches today, they're receiving calls from people that uh, help deliver players to programs that are now calling us and saying, I have a player for you that before was saying, uh, we don't have anybody for you because the, that player wanted to play D1. And now yeah. we were out of the conversation and now we're directly in the middle of the conversation. So I think that goes on from staffing perspective to to, to recruiting as well. And I, and I fielded some calls, right, from some people that I know in the industry that, that are now really interested in potentially coming to work at LeMoyne because we're a Division One institution. So there's that, that great stigma of D1 that, that is an allure to people, to, to young people and to adults. And so you, it's something that can't be argued. It's a fact. How do you stay LeMoyne despite the move to D1? Because you and I have talked about how – people can lose themselves, right? You can lose your mission, you can lose your vision, you can lose the beauty of what a lot of people see in D2 and D3, which is uh, still a love of the game yeah. and not so much like the millions and of dollars and these crazy balloon contracts and whatnot. So how does LeMoyne stay true to who they are? How do you stay true to who you are in D1? I, I think it's, it's a great responsibility. Uh, for me as the athletic director, but also our staff here uh, and, and certainly our leadership to make sure that sports stays uh, aligned completely with the mission. I'm tremendously dedicated to that. I've said it since the day I arrived at LeMoyne that 
athletics serves the institution. It's not the other way around. Yeah. And, and that we won't lose sight of alignment, that we're here to support the academic mission of the institution. That will never change, whether we were going to reclassify down to Division Three or move to Division One. In fact, we're just putting the final touches on our strategic plan that we've worked on the past several weeks as a department and that we have to submit to the NCAA. And we nested our strategic plan with a new strategic plan that was just developed and released publicly. I don't even know if it's been released publicly yet. The, the college's strategic plan, it's going to be titled Tomorrow Together, and our provost spearheaded that committee to put that strategic plan together and we nested our strategic plan with tomorrow together. So if that's not complete alignment, you know, nothing is. So it's, it's uh, incumbent on me as the athletic director and the person that oversees this department to make sure that we don't lose our way and that we know uh, our true North is, is the academic mission of this institution. The Lemoyne way really guides our, our character set, our value set here as a department and, and we'll, we'll stay true to our mission. Where people get confused in this move, and you and I have talked about this on and off the air, but the reality of the hiatus, right? The two years where, so you're you're inside of the NEC as of July 1st, 2023, you're competing with NEC teams, right? For everything except for men's lacrosse, which is independent this upcoming season. But you, so you're an NEC member, but you're not playing in the NEC postseason for two years. And not playing, and you cannot go into the NCAA postseason for four years unless rules are changed. So you are a member, but there's this kind of like holding pattern, purgatory type of thing. How do you navigate through that? And and are you in hopes that because I spoke with Noreen Morris, the NEC commissioner, about this because she was on a committee that was looking at this. Are you in hopes that the NCAA will say, hey? If there's a two-year hiatus at a conference, then the conference tournament and the NCAA tournament will match each other instead of the NCAA doubling the amount of time you have to wait. There's no question. We would love for the NCAA to re-examine that policy, and I think that perhaps during the course of this four-year reclassification period, there may be a reduction. But we also have to accept the terms in which we signed up for, and, and so we know as of right now there's a four-year sit-out period. On the NEC side, we talked to, to Noreen about that during the process, and they're going to take a look at it. It's actually in the contract that they will take a look at that two-year wait to sit-out period for Lemoyne and potentially reduce it. No guarantees, but they'll take a look at it and talk about it. They're going to do that in their in their presidential meetings here next next month, a couple of weeks from now. And again, with no guarantees that they will reduce it, they did reduce it from four to two last year. It's two right now. We've asked for that to be completely eliminated. Will that happen? I, I don't know. We, we Hopefully it'll be re reduced even if it's by a year. But if not, we understand the terms in, in which we agreed to. And if it's two years, it's two years. And we're going to do our best to deliver a championship experience to our student athletes on a daily basis. And we're working that already in terms of our scheduling, about who we're going to play, the venues, the trips, all those kinds of things. So it's incumbent on us to make sure that we deliver a championship experience regardless. And is, is that how a very exciting non-conference kind of tour, so to speak? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it, Dan. You know, that and just the enhanced experience in terms of, you know, we're going to ramp up how, how our student-athletes travel. They're going to see some benefits, whether it's the per diem, whether it's the hotel allotments that, that the teams get. I mean, all that's been factored into to an increase here. Uh, 
some of the trips that we're talking about, hopefully they're lifetime memories. You know, when you think about a national championship, and I'm not trying to downplay that, but very few athletes compete for national championships at the Division One level every year, year in, year out. It's just, it's really hard to do yeah. to be an annual contender at any level, even in, you know, outside of the top five or six in football at the Division One level, but they seem to just always be the same teams that are vying for a national championship. The other sports, there's great transition and turn, turnover every year. So you won't find that dominance where every year we're competing for national championships. Very few athletes do. And I think that we have to just redefine success. And I think that that's something I've been very open about is that joining the Division One conference is going to put a premium on winning a, a conference championship. I think, candidly, this is something that, that, that bothers me at the Division Two level is that sometimes uh, the, the, the conference championship is diminished because the eyes are set on that national tournament because access is so great to the national tournament that if you win, sometimes student athletes don't celebrate it like I believe they should and value it because they say, hey, the bigger prize is, is the national championship. In reality, at LeMoyne, there's been one team here that's competed for national championships year in, year out, just one. It's been men's lacrosse. Yeah. 17 of 21 seasons, they've been in the national semifinals. That team has competed for national championships year in, year out. That's not going to happen at Division One. It doesn't happen at Division One for the, the powers. It's just to be uh, a contender for the national championship every year, it, it's too it's difficult. Will we be a contender for our conference championship every year? Absolutely, I expect that. I expect us then to be able to be a contender for the AQ, to get into that conference, and to potentially win a game or two every year? Absolutely. And you know what? You could catch lightning in a bottle. Cornell last year lost in the championship game. And this year they got knocked out in the first round, right? So, I mean, that's how it goes. But I think that in this transition, I will like to, that, that our athletes are going to value conference championships again because I do believe that that was diminished. And I also say this there's kind of been a fallback that if you don't win the conference championship, oh, that's okay because we got, you know, we have a, a bigger prize and uh, I'm not against the bigger prize, but I think the conference championship should, has been devalued to a degree. And uh, that struck me here this spring by from several of our teams. And, and, I, and I'm really actually looking forward to seeing student athletes really get excited about conference championships again. Yeah. And the thing is, is it's such a, like you said, national championship is such a hard thing to do once, let alone back to back or within the same decade. There's teams that you might see get in one year and then not even make the, you know, not, 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 not make the championship game. They don't even make the tournament. So, you know, when you're a conference champion and you can consistently compete at that level, then, you know, you're going to, you know, be a representative of that. And, and that's a banner, you know, that's, that's something to put up. And LeMoyne has been able to have so many of those that you hope, you know, the move to the NEC, that there is a focus on conference championships and competing in that respect. It's tough to have, you know, a holding pattern. I would love the NCAA to equal out the conferences because it doesn't make sense to have a postseason for two that you have to wait and then four. And so, I mean, we'll see. But you're an NEC team. You are a full member as of July 1st, 2023. I think people need to know that. It's not that you become a full member two years after because of the conference tournaments. I mean, you are a you are a full member. It's just the rules that that be. Before we go, you, you mentioned the two million dollar number. Bring me into the the mathematics and the economics of where we go from here. Yeah. So again, we built out a plan, and 
and and initially we we expected that number that we were going to spend this year to be much higher than what we're going to actually spend this year so it's going to be much more cost effective for us this year to compete at the division one level i think that there are again revenue streams that'll be available to Lemoyne once the reclassification period is over that's going to offset that number consistently in, in a large way we talked about this from day one fundraising was going to need to ramp up here at Lemoyne, and it's something that uh, we have a plan in place to go out there and, and talk to folks that have said for years that if Lemoyne were to reclassify Division One, that they would be all in to help support that move. So we're going to be trying to call in some of those some of those promises here in the in the weeks and months ahead to support this initiative. But uh, we understand that that the, you know there was an added expense to going to Division One. I. I mean, we spent an awful lot of time talking about that as a committee, the board of trustees, and we're going to do our best to be very thrifty to be great stewards of our resources but there is an added investment and when we talk about most of it lies in scholarships and, and some of it in in staffing where we're ramping up you know we prior to this year right prior to right now as we speak right now Lemoyne has two full-time assistant coaches that's it in our athletic department one on the men's basketball side and one on the women's basketball side every other assistant coach on our staff is a part-time coach so that has to change. We knew that was going to change in a reclassification. At the end of a three-year period, we're going to have full-time assistant coaches with every program. Yeah. Some will be instituted sooner than others. Some might get two full-time assistant coaches during that period to match kind of what the NEC members are doing. So that's where I talk about the student-athlete experience, where maybe they don't see a direct impact to them on the surface, but if you peel a layer of of the onions, uh, layers of the onion back and see, hey, more coaches mean more development time for me. That's a direct impact. That's impacting the student athlete experience maybe better than anything. As, as, a, as an athlete, you want to go to a place where you're going to get developed to the highest level of your potential. And that's when we look for coaches. That's in my mission statement. We're looking for a coach that's going to come in here and develop our student athletes so they achieve at the highest level of their potential. And you can't do that if you have one head coach and a part-time coach who's trying to manage a roster of 30 or 40 people. It's very difficult to do that. So this move is going to help us impact our student-athlete development in a way that we weren't able to do so beforehand. You and I had talked in the past about the potential when you were in the NE10 in Division Two to look at adding a sport or two. Yes. Going into the NEC, is that still a thought? It is a thought. And I know people asked us last week, are you thinking about eliminating sports or will there be a trade-off if you add, you'll diminish? And we have no intention of, of downsizing our athletic program. We are uh, of a mind to increase. We're looking, and we've been pretty public about the sports that we're going to look at. First of all, we want to be a good partner to the NEC. So we want to take a look at where they could use additional members in terms of sports sponsorship. And I think two of the sports that make a lot of sense for us are women's bowling and men's volleyball. Part of that is because those aren't facilities that we would need to construct to be able to bring those sports in. Women's bowling, we would strike a partnership with a local house and and that's where we would bowl. And on men's volleyball side, we have our Ted Grant court, and that's where the men's volleyball team would play. So we're undergoing a study right now looking at the event center. We need to expand. We need to grow our locker room space. We need to add locker rooms. It's all part of this. But uh, 
Um, those two sports are very appealing to us, and we find hockey to be exceedingly compelling. We really do. We feel like we're in uh, a hotbed for, for, for hockey and lacrosse. Obviously, our lacrosse programs are, are flourishing here in central New York, and we feel like hockey will really thrive here on the Heights as well. So it's a matter of finding a facility, maybe an existing facility. It might be a, a facility that, that could be constructed, maybe not by Lemoyne. That's mm -hmm. one thing that we're not looking at because I'm yeah. building a Ice hockey facility is, is tremendously expensive. Sacred Heart just built one for $75 million. And, you know, we're not looking to build a, a nice rink here on campus, but there are some other opportunities maybe in the, in the region where they're talking about possibly constructing a rink, or is there an existing facility where we could fit in? We'd love to add men's and women's ice hockey here. We have men's ice hockey uh, a club team, and we wanted to add women's ice hockey last year. We didn't gain the traction. We're going to take another shot at trying to build a women's ice hockey club team this year as well. But I think that those four programs would be really natural fits for us here and uh, something we'll be taking a look at now. Now that the reclassification it won't be dominating our time, we'll be able to sit out and explore some other new and really exciting initiatives for the college. There's so many things to talk about and so many places to go, but you know from the day we started to work together that I believe you should leave with your heart. So what about this experience for you after 34 years at a Division I institution in Army West Point, bringing a school from Division II to Division I, what has this experience done for your heart, and what are you thankful for? Well, boy, I, I, could, I could stay all day and talk about what I'm thankful for. I'm, I'm so grateful to our president, Dr. Ramira. I'm, I'm so grateful for Bob Reclitus, who chaired our ad hoc committee on athletics reclassification and the former board chair who was in place when we started this process. Grateful to, to Pete Delora, the current board chair. They really shaped the mindset of so many people and bought into this vision. And I'm grateful for Joe Grasso, our VP for administration and finance, because without his support, I don't think any of this would be possible. I'm thankful for our VP team, our entire senior leadership team that, that's on board, our ad, ad hoc committee members, that we had some unbelievable conversations over the past 12 months. And some were supportive of this move and others weren't supportive initially. And the more we talked it through, we heard countering opinions and we just had a, an unbelievable discernment process. And at the end of the day, when we voted in February or whenever it was this winter, it was unanimous vote to, to move to Division One. So I'm, I'm so thankful for the minds on this campus that were open. Our, our hearts were open to this. So those are just some of the things I'm grateful for. I could go on and on and on. And, and I'm really excited to talk about what I felt in my heart. In my heart of hearts, I believe this is the right move for the institution. I believe it's a positive step in our strategic strategy for growth from an admissions standpoint, from an engagement standpoint, I think this is going to raise the profile of LeMoyne exponentially. And I think that can only lead to more interest and, and more fundraising success and more applications, I hope. I hope that that's gonna be the case. I think as we grow our rosters and our programs, that's gonna to lead to some more opportunities for young people to come and play at the Division One level. <clears throat> and then ultimately, I, I, I played at the Division One level I worked my entire career at the Division One level before I got to Lemoyne, and I just I'm a firm believer in the Division One experience, and I just feel like our student athletes deserve that. And I know that some of them are a little anxious right now 
because in some cases they, they just don't know what they don't know. There's not a great difference between their demands on their time or their talent levels. But somehow along the way, I think some of them were stigmatized that they weren't worthy of a Division One experience, and they are. Our student-athletes deserve the best. They deserve the opportunity to compete in elite venues. They deserve the opportunity to compete against elite talent. They deserve the opportunity to walk away from a one with lifetime memories through athletics, and we're going to be able to deliver that now in a way that we never could before at the Division II level. That's just a fact. Syracuse, you have a Division I school right here in your backyard, and it is a beautiful thing to talk about the history that that creates to have another school right here, the Dolphins. Green and gold, you need to get used to wearing it and used to seeing it. There are so many things coming up. My heart is happy because I have been, by your graciousness and Dr. Linda Lamira and Pete Delora and everybody, I've been a part of this the whole time. You've allowed me to be a part of it, and it's something that I may never get to do for the rest of my life is be a part of uh, reclassification and realignment. I, I thank you and I thank everybody here at Lemoyne for just letting me not see this from the outside and let me see it from the inside and, and the ups and downs and around the corners. I mean, my heart is full because you deserve it. And I know when I did rapid fire with Linda, she said, what do you think? And I said, Linda, there's no doubt in my mind from everything I know. And this was a while ago. I said, there is nothing on this campus that is not D1 to me. I said, this has been a D1 institution to the highest of merits for as long as I've known it. So am I surprised? No. Am I excited? Absolutely. And am I honored tremendously? And you all gave that to me, so thank you. Well, we can't thank you enough, Dan. I've said this over and over. Uh, we talked about who you play against matters. Well, who you partner with matters as well. And we made this decision two years ago, and it's been, uh, it was spot on. It was the right decision to make the partner with someone who shares our value set, who's, who provides a platform, believes in our mission, believes in our student athletes. And no one's told the story of our student athletes better consistently than you have over this period of time. And um, I'm just thrilled to be able to take this journey with you. Uh, I hope that I will never be part of a, <clears throat> another athletics reclassification <laughs> again in my career. It's, it's really, um, you think about it, not a lot of people have an opportunity to be part of an athletics reclassification, a transition, and uh, we're part of that together. And I know that you're going to continue to tell uh, the stories of our wonderful student athletes and, and whether it's D1, D2, D3, it's, it's just a little bit different experiences for them. And uh, yeah, I, I think that we're all going to go through this with our eyes wide open and our hearts full. And, and I think at the end of the day, I think our student athletes will be Will, will be the beneficiaries of this move in, in so many ways. Yeah, my heart's my heart's excited. It's that it's that it's that happy feel, right? When you're when you know like you're you're standing with your toes on the edge of that cliff, saying I could fly. So it's now time to do that. It's time to fly. It's time to swim. And as always, fins up. Yeah, fins up, Dan. It is time to swim. Well put. Appreciate that. We'll talk with you all soon.